0: Of the 875 million users on the network, 180 million are senior level executives, 10 million are C-level executives. You will also be able to drive results with targeting and measurement tools built specifically for B2B. And they work. Audiences exposed to brand messages on LinkedIn are six times more likely to convert. LinkedIn Ads is also ranked number one for security, community, and ad experience as part of Business Insider's Digital Trust Study. Make B2B marketing everything it can be and get a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com mpn and claim your credit. That's linkedin.com mpn. Terms and conditions apply. Hey there, it's Jason Falls. If your company or maybe one of your clients sells to marketers, you look for advertising channels that guarantee business marketers are paying attention, right? Let me introduce you to the Marketing Podcast Network. You're listening to it right now. It's a network of podcasts all about marketing. So 100% of MPN's audience are marketers. Reach them by advertising on the Marketing Podcast Network. Learn more and find our media kit at marketingpodcasts.net.
1: When someone goes looking for a piece of music to use in their show... Uh, I'm, i always recommend going to the royalty free services where you just pay once and whatever but you got to be careful read the licenses because some of those royalty services royalty free services are single use license so you yeah. pay 35 bucks for the music and i right exactly
2: you're listening to the business of podcasting and on this show we focus on the money side of podcasting some of the top industry experts come on the show to tell us how they have monetized their shows. This means you get access to real stories and real life strategies that have benefited podcasters for the last 10 to 15 years. You also get access to solo content where you learn how to monetize your own show and you learn really in-depth strategies to make money from your podcast. So if you want to monetize your podcast, subscribe now. Hello, podcasters. I hope you are doing well. You're tuned into the business of podcasting, man. Thank you so much for being here today. We have very special guest Gordon fire mark i'm super excited to have gordon on the show because he helped me with a ton of contract stuff a ton of legal stuff multiple times now i talk to gordon whenever i need help on the legal side of podcasting and we talked about a lot of the small minute details you will never think of as a podcaster so this is one of those informing episodes that you should save i'm gonna say that on a lot of these episodes i'll be honest with you but this one you should save because Gordon really gave us some good info that you'll never hear from anybody else. Guys, I'm super, super excited to have Gordon Firemark here. Some of you have heard me mention him on a personal branding playbook, playbook, on Instagram or on Twitter. This is the podcast lawyer. This is a person you go to when you need that legal advice, that legal insight, contracts, all of it. Gordon, welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Man, I really appreciate you being here because... I think it's good to have people like yourself that kind of work in these niche markets. Like What you do is very niche specific. How did you get into like this particular
1: space of being a lawyer? Well, okay, since you mentioned I'm a lawyer, let me just really <laughs> quickly do a little disclaimer. Um, just for everybody who's listening, I am a lawyer, but that does not mean that I am your lawyer unless we've entered into an attorney-client relationship with the retainers and fees and all those kinds of things. So what we say here is information, use it as you please, but don't expect that it's, you know, a full evaluation of every possible legal nuance that might be applying to your situation. So, um, I'm not your lawyer, unless we've worked that out now to your question, Chris, how did I get into this? Is that what the question was?
2: Yeah. How did you get into something that's so specific as pod, like calling yourself the podcast lawyer is very, very niche down. So like, <laughs> I want to know your, your journey from like law school to this, because that, that's not a, a normal path.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, if you don't mind, I'll go back a little farther than than law school, because okay. uh, it all starts with my very humble beginnings. As a five-year-old kindergartner, where um, I was in a school that was a through K-12 school outside Boston, Massachusetts, and uh, the high school kids were putting on their production of Oliver, the musical, and our class got, got to come to a dress rehearsal, and we saw this, and the lights come on, and the sound, and the curtains, and all the stuff was happening, and I was mesmerized. I was hooked. So from that moment on, I was letting my parents know this is what I wanted to be involved with, and they were good. They took us to shows, and and uh and things like that and anyway jumping fast forward a few years I'm I'm in junior high and I start running the lights and sound for the school variety shows and things like that into high school I'm the sound guy at school and began working professionally in theater doing sound and lighting and mostly sound um and so that's how I sort of entered my adulthood I started college as a theater major and bounced around into fine art photography and journalism and ended up ended up in radio television and film and it was only in my senior year of college that a professor said hey you should think about going to law school you've got an aptitude for the business and legal management side Mm. of things and i laughed at the time i came back to la i became a, a television producer and then when the writers guild went on strike that's when i decided to go to law school so i was immersed in the tech and and the fun you know of audio and video production and stuff from a very early age when I became a lawyer and I started looking, well, how do I market my practice? You know, I started with a, with blogging and things like that as soon as that became available, basically. And then I discovered podcasting because I was a fan of a guy named Leo Laporte who had a, a TV show on Tech TV, and then he sort of ventured into podcasting when Tech TV was sold and they changed their format. And I thought, oh, this is really cool. Then I got invited to be a guest on a podcast, and since I had microphones and gear, I hooked myself up and did it and had fun, and that turned into a regular recurring thing. And then when that host decided to go in a different direction, I said, okay, i got to start my own show. So I became a podcaster. Well, at that point, I went looking around. I was an entertainment and media lawyer, so I kind of knew the basic ropes Um, but I went looking for specific stuff about the podcasting digital new media arena and there just wasn't anything. So I sat down for my own purposes and did some research and identified, you know, frameworks and things like that. And then I realized, okay, I got to turn this into a book. And so I wrote an ebook called the podcast blog and new media producers, legal survival guide. And Mm. that writing a book is how you become an expert.
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's a good name too. Survival Guide that's a good I yeah, like that.
1: Yeah. So anybody who's interested in that can find it. It's at podcastlawbook.com and uh you know the the rules haven't changed. The law's been pretty stable on things, the, you know, cases come up, but it's basically the same rules. Copyrights, trademarks, libel and slander, privacy, all those kinds of issues that we entertainment lawyers had have to know about anyway but most folks that are starting podcasts don't come at this with a journalism background where they've been taught about these kinds of things. So I've made it sort of my purpose and mission to educate and inform and be a resource to creators, not just podcasters, but also YouTube creators and theater producers, all that. Um, So calling myself the podcast lawyer is is branding and and, I'm pretty sure uh, it works. I know it
2: works. <laughs> so yeah,
1: yeah, so
2: what has been since you've been in this field? What's the craziest story you can recall? You know, where somebody had to call on you for help, where you were like, "Wow, this is insane. I've never seen anything at this level."
1: Well, I've had a couple of them, and and honestly, none, nothing has been all that surprising. Most of the most of the stuff that comes up in my practice, I'm not a litigation attorney, but it's still about relationships about disputes and arguments between people who start out as friends and partners and then something usually money comes into the equation and becomes a, a point of friction or or irritation one of the biggest problems that i've encountered was uh, a podcaster who's had a network and he started a show he worked with a couple of different co-hosts over the years it was one of these tv you know talking about the tv show mm-hmm. on the podcast the next TV shows yeah yeah and and um, a very popular show. And so they built up a very big audience. At some point, he ended up landing with this one person as a co host. And that co host essentially became the lead voice on the show. Hmm. And eventually they started having some, you know, just disagreements, mainly about how to monetize. Well, you know, was it going to be Patreon or was it going to be advertising or whatever else? And finally, the guy who who ran the network that the show was part of. He just said, you know, he sent a text. He said, you know what? It's your show. Do do it the way you want to do it. Well, this co-host grasped onto that it's your show statement oh, man. and said, okay, I own it. I'm taking it off the network. I'm going to do it my own way. Bye-bye. You're gone. Oh. To the original founder and creator of the show. <laughs> and for the people listening, I want to I kind of give some clarity, some
2: context to that. When he says took it off the network, that means probably some logos were removed, some branding, maybe t- changing the hosting site, taking it off the website. It could be a long list of changes when you leave a podcast yeah. network. It's not like we're just not mentioning the network on the show mm-hmm. anymore. It's a lot of kind of details that go into that.
1: Well, and the network was entitled to a of the revenues and, you know, was in control of access to the audience through the RSS feed, but also email addresses and and Uh, social media and all that kind of stuff. And so this guy now is claiming, well, you said it's my show. So I want the RSS feed. I want the email list. I want the social media. Give it to me. I'm locking you out and all those kind of So this ended up being about a probably nine or 10 month long back and forth, you know, threatening, saber rattling, and ultimately negotiating a deal that honestly some money ended up changing hands and then the network ended up eventually relinquishing ownership of the, of the show. Um, uh, money changed hands. And, and of course, uh, the only people who really came out ahead are the lawyers that got paid to handle the <laughs> discussion. <All right. laughs>
2: so, so, so one of my questions, cause I run into a lot of podcasters that have that issue with co hosts mm-hmm. um, where they get 20 episodes in and now it's time. Like, okay, we want to make money and they don't know where to get started. So mm-hmm. from your perspective, What is the path they should take to avoid that? You know, because you don't want to be 30, 40, 50 episodes in. You put in all this work. You build the audience. You build the connection. Now you know you can make money. And now there are disputes about who gets paid what and how to make money. Like, how do you kind of avoid that?
1: Don't get more than, well, I'd say don't even get one episode in without having a prenup. I call it a podcast prenup.
2: <laughs> I like that. I love that.
1: That's good. <laughs> you know, it is basically an agreement of some sort. Maybe you're forming a company like an LLC or something like that. Or maybe you're, you're just doing a, a, a co-production agreement or a pro- partnership agreement, or maybe it's just one guy's going to be the owner. One person's going to be the owner. And the other is the ho is a, is a co-host. That's the way I have my show structured. It's my show. My co-host is a hired gun. Essentially. She's just, agreed to be on the show and um you know we split some money when there's money but eventually if anything comes up it's my show my decision so you got to get that down on paper it's the who gets the house who gets the kids kind of a discussion and the house being of course the physical assets of the podcast the 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 recordings the copyrights the trademarks the brands the all those uh social media accounts and things like that and and the kids is the audience that's the rss feed and and there you go. So if you don't know how that's going to get dealt with before the dispute arises, and usually it's easier to work out those arrangements beforehand, then you're going to have a fight on your hands when, when there's something that leads to a breakup.
2: Yeah. And we all always want, a breakup though. Right. And we all want to avoid that. Cause yeah. I, I see that so much when it mm-hmm. comes to people come to me to learn how to monetize it. They want to choose a strategy and Whenever they have a co-host, I'm like, okay, look, you guys need to have a conversation about what approach you're going to take to this and the revenue splits. Um, have yeah. you seen that be a, be a big issue for a oh, sure. podcast where it's multiple hosts? Sure.
1: Uh, I've seen a situation where the the two creator, you know, co-creators of the show, so there's no question they're both owners. But one of them is the one who's been providing the equipment and paying for the hosting and all that. And the other one really just sort of shows up and records a show. And then wants 50% of the gross revenue that comes in mm. rather than in reimbursing the expenses and those kinds of things. So it can be really, you know, really challenging if you haven't had these conversations and written it down, documented it mm. up front. And most people are, you know, the, let's try to get along and uh, understanding yeah. that someone spent some money and so on. But every once in a while you get into this situation. I have another one that just recently, um a a moderately famous personality um gets brought on by a startup podcast network the network's gonna sell the ads and produce the show and she's gonna show she's gonna you know develop the guests and figure out the subject matter of the show but the network is providing all the other infrastructure and and support back end and they'd worked out a 50 50 deal split but uh, in this case, this sort of famous person, and she's famous mainly because her father is famous. Oh, and she's okay. sort of a controversial figure in, in the world because of his fame. But she, um, she thought she was going to have equal control. And when he sold the ads to a particular company that was r- right down the middle deadline, a you know, perfect fit with this kind of a show, she said, Well, you never showed me the deal. I didn't agree to that. And it ended up breaking up the relationship. So they were three or four episodes into producing. They hadn't launched the show yet, but they'd made three or four episodes. And um, in this particular instance, the uh, my client was just willing to be done with it because of what kind of a personality wow. he was dealing with. I mean, and in, so,
2: in some situations, cutting it off is kind of the best thing yeah. to do. And uh, she, to her credit,
1: she the 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 personality did come along and say, let me reimburse you for some of your expenses that you've incurred. But then the lawyers get involved and we're drafting the papers and it's going back and forth. And that reimbursement's probably going to get eaten up (laughs) by the legal fees. So trying not to let that happen. I want to look out for my guy as much as I can. So
2: I think it's something that's super important for more podcasters to take serious. Um, So let's say I'm a solo podcaster. A lot of people do shows by themselves. They do interviews and stuff. Are there any kind of contracts or any legal – just legal things that those solo podcasters should be aware of,
1: you know there's a four part framework that I talk about whenever somebody look, if you want to get legit and be serious about your podcasting, you you take your your sound quality seriously, right? You mm-hmm. take the content quality, the the you know the importance of the message that you're sharing seriously, you got to take these this back end, back office kind of stuff seriously too and that means being businesslike about things it may mean that you're forming a corporation or a limited liability company to protect yourself and your show from liabilities that come from other sides and vice versa um forming a limited liability company is a great idea um you you're going to have a team you know if you're working with an editor or a producer or a writer or a co-host or whatever have those prenups in place those agreements with all your pe- your personnel if they're independent contractors they're going to be considered an owner of their contribution to your show unless you've got a piece of paper that says otherwise mm. and there's there's magic language
2: Wait, about hold I on. we got to go deeper on that one because yeah. a lot of podcasters have editors and producers for their shows so what yep. you're saying is if i have a show and i host And I have this editor I work with, let's just say for a year, and they edit every episode, they schedule it for me, they do a lot of editing and production. That person now, you're saying, if I don't have it written down, they own part of that podcast because they edit the podcast consistently.
1: They could claim, at worst case, they could claim that they own the edited podcast. Version of the show Wow more likely they'd claim that there's some sort of a co-owner a joint author of the show because they contribute, right? So here's the basic rule when somebody creates a work of Expression original work of expression is the words we use they own a copyright in that work. They're considered an author
2: mm-hmm.
1: now when that person is an employee of a company than the company or, or of or of another person. The employer owns the output, the results and proceeds of their work. But when they're an independent contractor, the contractor owns their their output, their contribution. So mm. the, you know, you don't see this coming up often. I gotta be really honest. It's not a huge problem that's happening all over the place. Mm. But editors and producers and writers, people who are contributing to a podcast, they are coming to it with the intention that their work product is going to be combined with others and to make a single unitary whole. That is the very definition of what makes a joint authorship situation. And that means co-owners, they have the right to share in the proceeds, the exploitation, you know, decision-making, all those kinds of things. So the way around that is that certain, the the copyright law anticipated this and set up a, a, a situation where if there's a written contract for certain kinds of works and podcasts, I think fit into the audio visual works category. Mm-hmm. Then if the contract says that it's a work made for hire magic, buzzword language, work made for hire, then the employee, the, the company or the or the producer of the show that is the owner, you know, whoever is designated in the contract, that's who the owner is. Mm. So that's the kind of thing you want. You want a contract with every single person who touches your show. Wow. That, Just so you I,
2: have that. I'm learning a lot myself. I, yeah, I never yeah. even thought about it that way, <laughs> but that makes a lot of sense because sure. this person is putting in work on a show mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they're there consistently, then they have to have some kind of, because honestly, mm. I don't think people would um, work that hard or be consistent and focused on it, you know, and put it in an effort if they don't believe they have some kind of ownership. And I think there's a certain uh, uh, pride that comes with being an editor. Most of the editors, sure. I know they take pride in it, you know? Yeah
1: well i mean look if it's a job and they're getting paid they're invested in doing a good job so they continue to get paid <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. so they don't and i don't think most podcast editors think of themselves as owners of the shows that they edit but if you ever end up in a spitting match about these things that argument could certainly come up a smart lawyer is going to see it right off the bat so you want to try to address these things with a you know a basic independent contractor look i've got independent contractor agreements, editor agreements, writer agreements, all that. But basically um, the, the principles are the same. You know, you want anybody who's, who you're working with graphic designer, music, well, composers of music and things is a very special case, but, yeah. uh, but, uh,
2: well, we can get into that one next when it comes okay. to intro
1: music, that's one yeah. of the most
2: Google terms that podcasters have is yeah. where do I get my intro music and can I use this one? Mm-hmm. Do I have to pay a licensing fee? And, um is is so many layers to it and i will I would love to hear your perspective on that part when it comes to intro music and what's required
1: all right so uh, to 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 extend the copyright discussion just a little bit, the owner of a copyright, that author or whoever the owner is, has the exclusive right to certain things to make copies to distribute the copies to make things called derivative works, things that are based upon or that incorporate another work. And to display and perform the work. So if you are incorporating a piece of music into your podcast, you are involving at least the copying and the and the d- derivative work right, but probably also the performance and the distribution right. Yeah. And so you are really using their copyrighted material in a way that you should be compensating them for. When someone goes looking for a piece of music to use in their show, uh, I'm, I always recommend going to the royalty-free services where you just pay once and whatever. But you got to be careful. Read the licenses because some of those royalty services, royalty-free services, are single-use license. So you yeah. pay thirty-five bucks for the music. I learned gotta that You got to pay for YouTube. episode two and episode <laughs> three. And episode, right, exactly. Um, so that's something to be. Some of them are. It's okay. You can you can license it for multiple uses like that. So be careful. Another thing to think about when you're use, if you want to use a piece of pop music or something that's not from one of these royalty free libraries, is that there are actually two copyright two copyrights in question. Mm. One, the person who wrote the song,
0: oh, songwriter or that composer, is a
1: good point. owns a, a, the composition, but then a record company hires a band or pays a, a musical group to go in and record the song that's a that's a derivative work of the musical composition it's done with permission but the record company or the or the band in some instances owns the recording called a master recording so now we have two different kinds of copyrights and multiple different rights involved for every podcast episode it's wow. being streamed so that's a performance but it's also being downloaded so that's a copy oh my god so many layers (laughs) so i call it four-stop shopping you got to get all those rights tied up Uh, okay
2: before we keep going i got a question because i know this is a question people are thinking about because i see people do this all the time with like certain songs you find on youtube they'll go to the comment section um i see news channels do this when people post a video on twitter or tiktok where they ask the person who who created it do i have your rights to use this Is that something that could hold up in the court of law, or is it like useless?
1: If the person who says yes to that is actually the owner of the rights in question, Mm -hmm. then yeah. But again, if you've got a a songwriter and a recording artist, unless it's the same person and there's no record company or music publishing company involved, you're probably not talking to the right person. So you do have to go get that permission. The other thing on on that we see a lot on YouTube and in some other places is. used without permission, no copyright infringement intended, you know, or something like that, which basically <laughs> they think it's a disclaimer. I call it a smoking gun. <laughs> so, <laughs> th- th- so is that like raising
2: you. your hand, saying that, uh, hey, I stole this?
1: Yeah, yeah. I copied it, but I didn't really mean anything by it. Oh, man. <laughs> so, 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 yeah, I mean, the best situation is if you're dealing with an, an unsigned independent artist who writes and p- records their own music, great get them to sign a music license agreement that gives you the permission. If you're dealing with a, you know, if you want to use the opening strains from Back in Black by ACDC, I'm sorry to tell you this, it's going to be either impossible or extraordinarily expensive to yeah. get those rights. So there you have it.
2: Wow. That, that's some good insight for us right there, man. I, I, did, I never thought about how many layers went into it. So <laughs> let, let's, let's kind of transition into the biggest part. I know people want to want to learn about, the money. When mm-hmm. it comes to working with uh, small business sponsors specifically, that's where I see the biggest issue for podcasters. I've yeah. seen podcasters that will have an agreement with a company where the company says, hey, we'll pay you X amount of dollars to so do mm-hmm. a pre-roll and a mid-roll on your show. And they'll do it and the company will say, hey, you didn't do this. And then they won't pay them. Um, I- I've seen so many of these crazy situations. So How does that money part work for sponsorships specifically?
1: Well, at at its most basic, it's actually a very simple transaction. You give me an exposure for whatever message I want to to get out to your audience in exchange for a certain amount of money, Mm -hmm. right? So the contract can be that simple. Could even just sit down and write a letter, dear so-and-so. You know, this, this will confirm the terms of our understanding about your advertising on episode 19 of my show.
2: Wow. Really? That, so that would work if they both sides sign that. That's
1: yeah, like, you know, you have enough. to give the details. I'll include your message of up to 60 seconds long, or I will, I will do a, a 60 second riff or, you know, host red ad or whatever, you specify what's going to happen and then how much they're supposed to pay and when, and that, that canvas, if they sign the the line on the bottom that says, yes, I agree. That's a contract. You could even technically do this by email, assuming that you get their response saying, yes, I agree. Wow. Okay. Now, the risk of that is that you leave something important out, right? I mean, what's missing from the contract is usually more important than what the contract actually says, assuming everybody's following what's on the page. So, you know, that's why you you want a form and a, a document that actually protects both the advertiser and the podcaster um you know what happens if the advertiser i'm sorry if the podcaster didn't get the, the rights to a piece of music now that a, that advertiser is paying for that episode to be to live on you know in it for eternity and now the podcaster has to take that episode down and maybe even pay some money to the to the owner of the copyright so now there's a dispute over whether they got what they were paying for or worse yet the owner of the copyright comes and says well the podcaster doesn't have a you know, a pot to piss in. So I'm going to sue the sponsor.
2: Oh my goodness. I never thought of that. Wow.
1: So we have a lot of language <laughs> called warranties and representations and indemnities and hold harmless clauses. That's what those are all about is protecting each side of the deal from mistakes by the other side. So
2: so that kind of explains why a contract isn't ever just that one basic page you mentioned at first. Like that's a way that you could use it, but that's just yeah. not good enough. Like you need I, yeah. all the other stuff.
1: We often use that sort of quickie letter format as what we call a deal memo. But it's usually while we're busy drafting up the other thing. We want to get started, but let's not wait for the lawyers. So let's
0: Mm -hmm. you know,
1: let's do a deal memo and then finalize it in a more formal writing. That's a great way to do things. Um and it also frankly that deal memo then becomes the the instructions for the lawyer to fill out the contract or or the the roadmap for whoever is actually filling out a form or whatever. So it's a, it's a great idea. Another area that comes up in advertising, <laughs> the, the, you wouldn't think it would be an issue, but the language, the terminology that you use really matters. I had a client from actually someone I knew from years ago, my earliest days in podcasting came to me a few years ago and said, Hey, I had this sponsor. They were paying me a thousand bucks per podcast great
2: right (laughs) that's a pretty good deal
1: (laughs) and, and so they had a credit card on file and this guy was hitting the credit card for every episode of the podcast that he made 52 of them in a year not bad work if you can get it except that the sponsor thought that podcast meant the whole series of episodes and not each individual episode as a podcast. So just the fact that they used the word podcast instead of episode and they weren't precise about it led to a $51,000 dispute. Oh, my goodness.
2: <laughs> <laughs> See, what I've learned today is that what you say and how you say it, the word you use, it matters a whole lot. That little small mistake right there yeah. um, caused a big discrepancy over a year. That's a mm-hmm. long time, yep. and that's fifty-one episodes of a show. Like, how, how do you? Did he have to go back and delete all the content? That's a lot of marketing.
1: <laughs> what he had to do was go back and give back some of the money. They they ended up negotiating a a, a balance thing, but it was yeah, it was Ooh. bad. I mean, that is
2: stressful to even hear probably. about
1: what's what's this guy doing that he's not looking at his credit card statement for, for a whole year <laughs> but um you know and and there there is such a thing as an argument that well I relied on it I did this and you never said anything it's now been a year how you know how can you come at me now and that was the reason mm-hmm. that he got to keep some of the money but crazy stuff
2: wow so yeah that
1: precision is... really matters and and having carefully worded documents can really help it's not a cure for everything, but it sure, sure helps.
2: Yeah, th- th- that is something that we have to take more seriously. So, so mm-hmm. before we go, what's the piece of advice you have for podcasters to protect themselves legally? Like, what's the one thing that most podcasters need to hear right now?
1: Approach things in a business like way. And that's going to mean getting it in writing. Whenever possible, get it in writing. Because doing so forces you into the conversation that clarifies these misunderstandings or, or, uh, or, you know, misconceptions that happen. So the act of writing out the contract or the, or the deal, even if it is just on the back of a napkin, which can be enforceable, mm-hmm. really gets you thinking a little deeper about things. And that is what biz- being business like and professional really is all about.
2: Oh man, that was great. This was a really insightful conversation, even for me. (laughs) I learned a lot myself. (laughs) I love these kind of interviews, man. Um, Please let the people know where they can find you. Obviously, I know, but let the people know where they can find Gordon Firemark and all his useful materials.
1: Well, I'm very fortunate to have a name that's memorable. So you can find my my law practice website and my blog at firemark.com or go to gordonfiremark.com, which is sort of a clearinghouse for my other products and services. I do have. Uh, legal forms and templates available for a lot of the stuff we've talked about here uh, on a site called podcastlawforms.com. And uh, if you're interested in doing a deeper dive into that four-part framework of how to do these things and you're more of a do-it-yourselfer, Easy Legal for Podcasters is a great uh, course that I've created too that might be of interest.
2: All right, man. I'll make sure I put a link to those in the description down below. Gordon, thank you for joining the show, man. This is really helpful for us.
1: Hey, Chris, man. It's been a lot of fun, good conversation, and it's important we get this message out to as many people as we can.
0: You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christopher Hines hosts a great podcast called Founder Success Methods. Chris, tell us what these fine folks will get out of listening. You'll learn how to really grow your
2: startup and get the basic strategies to build a successful company. We show you all the details and all the strategies that you just can't find on Google, YouTube, or even other podcasts. Oof, we're going to be lined up for this one. Where can people subscribe? You can search for the podcast, Founder Success Methods, wherever you listen to podcasts, or find me on Twitter at Chris Podcasting.
0: Or go to marketingpodcasts.net. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.